Sing out the jubilee with all the fire we can breathe. All right, play it. I'm going to tell you about kids on the tablets. Okay, I'm at, at Costco with my kids. They're very well behaved, okay? Now, here's the deal. I'm walking around, and I see parents with kids <clears throat> on the tablet the whole time, glued to the tablet. Short term, you think you're getting ahead because the kid completely is occupied and you can crush. Long term, your kid is going to become more immature and a problem. If you go for the short term a little more difficult, they become more alert, more helpful, more aware. You can conversate with them. They grow more. And in the long haul, you're going to be miles ahead. What do you think? I think he's right. I mean, just looking at our four-year-old, we avoided screens with him largely. Mm-hmm. Don't fact check us, friends who have seen us. But there, I mean, all but two times I can think of, we went to fancy restaurants and gave him a phone after he started to break down after we had been there a while. But by avoiding that, he seems much more emotionally resilient than other kids that I've seen yeah. in public. I think we've given our kids a phone fewer than 10 times total. Yeah, Honestly. in public situations yeah. and not in a grocery store. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to, I picked this TikTok in particular just because we're going through it with the younger one right now who's, um, if you're paying attention, 20 months old, which is a year and a half, not too far away from being two. Mm-hmm. And if you're not into the months thing, I'm not into the months thing. And he's in this stage. It's like, it's like from like one to three where it gets really, really hard going out with kids because stores and restaurants, events, nothing in our world is designed for kids because most of our kids are in daycare for most of the day. Like people see me out with my kids and I get asked why my four-year-old's not in school. And so people aren't used to seeing children because only a few people watch most of the world's children. And so as a consequence of this, our institutions aren't designed to, they don't welcome them right? Um, with facilities or the people, the personnel, whatever. And so that makes it even more difficult to have kids out in public and like restaurants, what kid wants to sit still? Like I just... To me, it's not a discipline thing. It's an environment thing. Mm-hmm. In the course of human history, no one was making their kids sit still for 30 minutes before the food came. Like they were all running around playing together. That's always been the case. Um, except for you, Chick-fil-A. You've got to figure it out, especially if you have the play place. <laughs> uh, and so I'm just in the throes of this right now, and it's really frustrating. I told my mom the story today about how the baby ran out the doors, the motion detector doors that, you know, slide open like a grocery store door. And typically he hasn't been big enough to activate the motion detector, but either he grew or this store had a different type of detector and he could open the door just by walking in front of it. He thought that was so fun. And so I'm looking at the shelf. I've got my four year old. And then I look down for a second, a millisecond and he's gone. And then the next thing I know is that the man at the cash register is like, um, excuse me. And then just points like a dum-dum with his finger at Max. And he's like, he's gone. He's in the parking lot. Oh, my gosh. With like they're driving cars. 
So I freak out and I start running and I have no idea why this man didn't go. Like he was 20 feet closer than I was. It's a child. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And so I told my mom this story and she goes, well, maybe you should get him a leash. <laughs> I'm not getting him a leash. No. Like he needs to learn how to act in stores. And I guess I do too. So I just say this in case you're a parent with a, you know, a kid around this age and maybe they're older and it's still tough and maybe we'll look like clowns, you know, two years from now because he's the second born. And I know firstborns have different personality traits typically where they're more responsible and they're better rule followers and whatever. But I do think that universally there is some truth to the idea that you have to develop muscles. All of us do. Even as adults, you have to develop new muscles and behavior in public is one of them. And while you're developing these muscles, you're going to be sore. You you might get hurt and it's going to take you some time. Um, but over the course of that time, you're going to be better at, at whatever you're trying to exercise. And patience in a restaurant is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen a lot of fruits of our labor in the in the past probably year with the older kiddo. I see this with other families, too. Like, I can tell when it's a homeschooling family coming into the library because they'll all sit down and read quietly because that's what they do most of the time. Uh, Independent play is another big one of these where if you uh, turn the screen off, you try and reduce your screen time, turn the screen off. Now, there is a period where it gets hard before it gets better. Yeah. And but then eventually your kids will develop the muscles like if you've had the TV on for your kid for years and you're like you want to change course there's still hope for you just turn the tv off and it's gonna suck like for a while but then it will get better and like the younger one who just doesn't has zero interest in tv turns out Mm -hmm. uh, which is frustrating sometimes but now i mean he will buzz a car around on the table for 40 minutes by himself yep with his brother it's wonderful it's crazy yeah well and now Sometimes, or it used to be that the older one would run downstairs and there's a little wardrobe thing where he has a bunch of superhero costumes and he would run down there and grab one and ask me to put it on. Now he gets stopped by his bookshelf, which is to the right of that, and he'll just sit at the landing at the bottom of the stairs and start looking at the pages. He can't read yet, but he's sitting there reading Mm -hmm. a book. Yeah, that's happened recently. That's really cool to watch. Anyway, it's just, and I've seen a lot on TikTok too about, what is it, the younger one, Gen Z. Yeah, Gen Z is, now they're get like sort of approaching real adulthood and they're like, I'm never going to let my kid use screens and, mm. and whatever. And yeah, I was the same way. Or what was it you were telling me someone was bragging that his granddaughter knew how to play oh, games on a phone or something? Yeah, someone was telling me that, Though his three-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter is nonverbal, she's really smart because she can pick up, unlock her mom's phone and play three different games on her cell phone. And I was like, hmm, that's an interesting measurement of intelligence there, sir. It's super sad, and I hate to make a joke of it, but, like, she can't talk, but she can do Candy Crush. I do get... I. I do fear for the screen kids when they grow up because I think about the parents' perspective since that's where I am. And I know 90s kids had absent parents. 
I mean, this is a joke online, but it's true. Most of us after the 80s, most parents were working. So most moms were working. Yeah, you had latchkey kids. Latchkey kids. Most moms were working. Dads were working. So we were all in daycare. And then once we were in public school, there's that period of time after school before parents come home. And I think most of us were by ourselves for that. Which hence the latchkey thing. She's looking at me trying to get my buy-in here. That was not my experience. My mom worked, but not until later. You had a present parent. My mom was always congratulations. My mom was always there. Yeah, mine won't listen to this, so it's fine. Anyway, but then even after that, I feel like Gen X and Boomer parents are very much like, "Well, I." raised my kids and so that once the time you know we were 18 or whatever we they were done like that job of being a parent was over and so now millennials i've seen this said before i think it's so true is that we don't know how to be parents because we didn't have them yeah and this will be relevant for the conversation we have later with our guest but you and i have been bootstrapping a lot of traditions because yeah we don't really have any so just thanksgiving is this week Apart from having a meal with my nuclear family and going around and saying what you're thankful for, we don't really have traditions. And I didn't fly home necessarily when I was in school for Thanksgiving, but I would for Christmas. Back to the behavior of littles real quick. There's a specific symptom of having absent parents that you see um, the effects of generationally. So I think people our age, millennials and I mean, I don't want to age myself. I'm, I think I'm almost Gen Z. I don't know what 1994 is. It's near the cutoff. <laughs> if I'm an elder millennial, you're uh, the corn, not. Fe- the crow's feet are coming for me. I know I can feel it. Anyway, I, I think, and maybe this is just anecdotal evidence and I don't know, but listening to kids cry. Yeah. It's like not a fun noise, but I feel like I, The people around me I see have a really emotional reaction to kids crying, like cannot tolerate it, will leave the room. And I think that's just a product of not being around them. Imagine living in a village, right? You'd hear kids cry all the time. We talked about this on the last podcast. And so if as millennial parents, we can't stand to hear children cry or our own children cry, and not in a reasonable sense, but like like an emotional uncontained rage sort of way we give them a tablet to pacify that behavior then what is going to happen to those kids when they become adults because they were crying because they had an unmet need and so then we met their need by giving them technology so we didn't actually meet the need what is that going to look like when they're adults yeah they're going to try to regulate themselves with screens. And then what is that going to look like when those adults start having their own kids? Like a nightmare. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if we don't have yeah civil war before yeah. then. Like Wally, you'd have to have like some kind of augmented or virtual reality to escape. I actually think it, it could get so bad. You got me started on Dune. I think it could get so bad that there's a total rejection of oh. some massive institution of mobile technology or yeah, something you have like a, that. A butlerian jihad against <laughs> the cell phone. I don't know where it leads. I just can tell you that it's it's probably not good. Welcome to episode 34 of the Free State Podcast. 
I'm Laura. And I'm Jace. Today we're speaking with Tymon Klein, editor-in-chief of American Reformer, about the history of Thanksgiving and how based Americans should be celebrating the holiday. Hopefully you have some time off this week. If you are listening to this podcast and you find yourself enjoying it and you think, hmm, I have a friend or a family member who would also like this podcast, please send them a link. Hit pause right now. I'll wait. And send them a link to the show. Thank you very much. <laughs> if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can still do that at anchor.fm slash freestate. And you can send us an email at freestatepod at gmail.com. Enjoy. Enjoy. Let me pick my nose. <laughs> do you have any tissues on you? I got you. It's like the little boogers. Yeah. That make you have the whistle nose or like the... The ones I'm trying to dig out as you're coming to bed. Oh, I don't want it back. Oh. It's okay. Okay. So today we're going to talk about how based Americans should celebrate Thanksgiving. And we're lucky to be joined today by Tymon Klein, editor-in-chief of American Reformer. Thanks for joining us, Tymon. Thanks for having me, guys. I, uh, I am actually a fan. I'm subscribed. I can't say I listen to every episode, but I've listened <laughs> to a lot of them. So, <laughs> you have a baby. That's a really good excuse. The po- I I do get podcast fatigue sometimes because now I'm kind of like required to keep up yeah. with a lot of them, and so sometimes I've started treating podcasts like I do books. Or if like you're reading a book, I'm a big proponent of if you don't like it or if it's if you're not enjoying it or it's not useful for what you need it for. Just there's no like pressure to finish it. I used to mm-hmm. think you had to finish every book you start. And so now I'm like that with podcasts. I just, if I get five minutes in and I, it's not what I want, I just move on. Amen. Thank you for saying that because I felt so much pressure <laughs> to finish so much crap and there is not enough time. I'm trying to do that with no. food, but I'm not been as successful. Quitting is a virtue in this, in this <laughs> case, in this media saturated world with too much content. And so we wanted to have you on today to talk about Thanksgiving because yes. I don't know if I'm conflating Thanksgiving with uh, Columbus Day, Indigenous Peoples Day, but it feels like there's a similar pressure from the left and even the squishy right to try and apologize for American history. And there's kind of a sense of shame about what the pilgrims were doing in 1621. And so as an expert in Puritan culture and that colonial America... I figured you might have a better way to approach the holiday. Yeah, I mean, I this may be totally predictable, but the the type of attitude you just described annoys me to no end. Well, I guess there's two attitudes like involved. One is the the total repudiation of um, not just the holidays themselves, but then the the people behind them. So this is like most evident with Columbus, I'd say. I think they even took down the, the Columbus statue in Columbus, Ohio recently. Oh, wow. I'm pretty sure that happened. Um, you know, so, so that sort of thing. It's the monuments, it's the, the day. And then it's not just about kind of telling the full story or giving a fuller history, which is a job for nerds. I can come back to that in a minute. Uh, but the, you know, you also want to highlight the, the worst possible faults or things that mm. we're uncomfortable with now as if there's no, 
distance between the late 16th and early 17th centuries and today in terms of what, you know, there was a a harsh period of time. So like lots of things that make us uncomfortable happen, um, but they're usually not assessed in that context. So it's kind of, you want to demonize them as much as possible. That's the one side. The, The nerd side I talk about often is like this incessant desire to, you know, well, actually everything. Uh, when it comes to these these sort of like important national events, we all know that they're that, and and you know you'll get a gazillion articles every year on Thanksgiving of you know well actually we don't know if Squanto was there, and it's like yeah, but it'd be pretty cool if he was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well actually we don't know if Martin Luther uh, said here I stand, I can do no other. Yeah, but it, he should have, right? Like it's just just leave it alone. It's part of does it mm-hmm. does destroy the history? No, it's part of it's part of the myth, and and I think myths are important there's there's a reason like the aeneid uh was written so you know that doesn't mean you have to lie about things but i just i get very annoyed with the i I saw a tweet about this actually with like the uh, you know the new napoleon movie that's coming out on thanksgiving as it happens i think they have a scene ridley scott was interviewed about where they shoot cannons at the pyramids and he's like i don't know if um you know, it happened, but it's representative of the event. And like, it stands for the conquest of Egypt by Napoleon, which did happen. And the the tweet following up on that was like, yeah, I mean, historical accuracy is just for suckers. Like the question is, the real question for a historical movie is would Napoleon have liked it? <laughs> which I'm kind of partial to, right? Because we're not like, we're not all supposed to be Americans love to play historian, almost all of them. But you know, it's, it, it's like, what are we doing here? What's, what's the point of these things. So when it's entertainment or, or movies, whatever, and then when it's national holidays and kind of lifting up certain figures as in some way, rather through either through their accomplishments or character are supposed to be definitional for some part of American identity. I'm just inclined to be a little lax with it. Anyway, that, so that's the lame way to celebrate these things is what the, the left does where they castigate it or the well actually right who don't want us to have nice things. That's those are the lame ways. And and both of those frustrate me. I don't know if that answered your question, but I was just kind of adding to what you were saying. I <laughs> so. was Yeah. I was thinking about Thanksgiving in context of Bin Laden's letter. I'm sure you've seen <laughs> the TikToks. And yeah. I hate to go to the mat for Libtard America, but I have to say, living in this information age, like what you're talking about, like it's never been easier to uncover untold secrets. And I can just speak Mm -hmm. for myself. I'm a product of public school. And so there's a lot that I didn't learn. And a lot of what I learned was just uh, propaganda, if you will. And so now as I'm an adult, I'm just relearning what feels like everything. I mean, Mm -hmm. like vaccines, American foreign policy, aliens, it turns out we've been tracking them for forever, you know, like, so there's all of this stuff. And so I can empathize with first believing whatever is contrary to the conventional wisdom. If however many times we relearn something and we are given new information that disproves what we were previously told, it's easy to develop a posture, though it's not accurate or wise to assume that whatever the new inf- new information is must be true um, just because it's happened so many times already. Um, a lot of people in the, 
I don't know if you guys, do you guys put yourself on the new right, the online new right, whatever, I the ecosystem so. at least. We reject yeah, labels. I think, Adjacent. I think you're there. I think you're there. <laughs> I think we're there. Um, I think you're there. You already mentioned vaccines and UFOs. Like okay. it's, it's actually not your choice anymore. <laughs> so you're there. I think that's the, true of a lot of people. Like now you can, you can debunk normal or, or, or sort of mainstream assumptions about things with like a brief look at Wikipedia on a given issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can sit there and listen to Alex Jones on Joe Rogan and just kind of Google along the way. And it's like, you know, not all of it's crazy. Um, the frogs really are not. gay. The frogs are gay. Like, the clockwork elves might be real. Yeah. But who's to say? <laughs> <laughs> who's to say? So it's like, you know, that kind of stuff for sure is, uh, and I think that's that's very healthy and and good because you're you're debunking very actionable lies that have, have been mm-hmm. used to um, do a lot do a lot of bad things that are not in the, the national interest for sure. I mean, so we have Middle Eastern boondoggles that went on for like our whole lives yeah. uh, based on some of these lies, right? Um, and there's sort of lies about not, not even just factually, you know, oh, there were no, there was no uranium, you know, going into Iraq. That's like a factual lie. Um, but it's also like theoretical lies or like theories of, of America and history and ways things work. Um, so that's why you see sort of supply side economics being critiqued more now by the new right. You see, you know, all these neocon foreign policy, of course, this sort of stuff. It's like, oh, that's that's not actually how things work. Or um, the orientation of those those theories is totally wrong. We don't we don't agree with them anymore. And a lot of that's just because of, I think, exposure to what I would say is like the the banned book canon. Yeah. So it's this kind of stuff, you know, that's that's unacceptable. Um, now Carl Schmidt, uh, so on and so forth. And you only can get that because of, because of the internet, you can read, you know, 19th century and early 20th century critiques of mass immigration that are certainly not kosher today to talk that way about things to take you dark places, I guess, but it's the, those are debunking lies that are, you know, been damaging to us. The kind of thing of like, Oh, um, you know, well, we only have just for the Thanksgiving thing. You know, there's only one contemporary account of what they did, and it's pretty limited. So we don't know much, that much about it. So a lot of the, the the traditions surrounding the day of, or or the myths about what what they did to to celebrate and things, you know, are are just that they're they're myths. But are they? You know, what is the myth doing? Is it to mm-hmm. um, hurt the you know America and to destroy its history? and to demoralize people and to, you know, essentially lie to them so you can justify bad policies? Or is it, uh, or are they sort of organically grown myths? Again, we could say like an, even a noble lie about things that are really designed to provide uh, Americans with pride, a sense of, you know, rootedness, a sort of creation story. All these things are important for people. And I think that's why these things even as they're lying to your face in the media, they're like, no, Biden's fine. He's completely operational and like coherent. <laughs> and at the same time, they're like, Christopher Columbus was terrible. You know, so it's like, what, what are right. the lies doing here? Like, what's the, the lie and the truth? So, you mm-hmm. know, was, did uh, Columbus do some, some like difficult things? Yeah. I mean, he's it's militarily, whatever you want to say. But one lie is being like emphasized and the other's not, which, which then you got to ask why. And I think that's also like the, the we could we could say in a positive way the discernment that certain people I think are are getting as well as the the I think John Escanas will talk about this of like um, 
you know, if he, he's actually almost a, an accelerationist on like misinformation because mm-hmm. eventually everyone's just going to disregard everything, right? You're not going to be able to be lied to anymore through the, the channels that were used to do that previously. Am I there? I was going to say, <laughs> you're... Are you there? Am I there? No, like, no that's I, like what Laura have I reached is that already. point? Yeah. Have you, have you gone, have you taken the black pill? Oh, have you listened to, you should listen to last week's pod. She's what pretty close. That? We have not no. The, the last one I listened to was the, on abortion. Yeah, yeah we're just, we're not going to convince anyone that babies are worth saving. We're just going to have civil war before that happens. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of. Yeah. It, it'll be a, in my opinion, it'll be like a few things, but all of them have to do with family. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's how you'll have balkanization. So I think yep. the, the development of uh, family law, the way it is in certain states around the trans issue is another one. Yep. And like that'll come to a head eventually. And so you'll, you could have very easily have a regional divide. And I think that's already happening. So, and abortion is one of them too. We all had a moment of where we were excited in a certain way of the, the state level, like, you know, return to the states, kind of reinvigoration of federalism. And then you have things like Ohio just writing it into the constitution. It's like, well, that right. didn't last long. So, um, so yeah, I think that's totally plausible. Um, I don't, that's not a black pill. That's just like being realistic, right? Which is what, <laughs> what is black the, pillar says. <laughs> well, then what does the black pill look like? I'm, I'm interested. No, it is. It is. It's just what you say if you're taking the black pills. Like, I'm just, I just have my head on straight. You yeah. Know? I'm, not, I'm not pessimistic. Yeah. Black pill is you see what's going on and you're sad about it. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of depressed. Everything sucks. Clear pill is like, well, you know, another war. I know what this is about. Like it's, it's Raytheon or whatever, you know, so you just move on. (laughs) You keep grilling. So to play to your other strength, I had, so you're talking about the importance of myth and I have in front of me, George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation from 1789. And for some people on the new right talking about Christian nationalism, this seems to be one of those inconvenient facts that the nerds on the Mm -hmm. left would be trying to supplant. I'll just read a line for the audience's sake. Mm -hmm. So Congress had told George Washington to declare a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. And so Mm -hmm. this is the first line. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence, which we experienced in the course and conclusion of the late war, etc., etc., everything giving thanks to God. What do we do with that? Right. And, and he's not, um, you can't explain this away as a, um, you know, that he's a deist because deists don't believe in active providence. Right. Right. And any kind of intervention. So he's a really bad deist, um, probably was a, a thoroughgoing going Anglican in many ways, but of course it was uh, very private. It doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm usually disinterested in like this, uh, let's look at our, you know, household name founders and figure out what they thought personally. Um, I'm interested in like what the, what is the character of a country that that proclamation happens in and it is received well and expected 
by the people because because of course they had Washington had done a similar proclamation in seventy seven right after um, the Continental Congress had as well mm. for Thanksgiving and this was a regular um, up and down the Eastern Seaboard but especially in New England a regular practice for you know chief magistrates whatever you want to call them governors to do so you have like an earthquake uh, you have you win a, a sea battle anything good you would you would have a day of thanksgiving if bad things are happening you're going to declare a day of prayer and fasting um and and of course the original thanksgiving prior thereto especially in in 1623 which some people will say was the the first like real real thanksgiving but whatever that's the well actually people um <laughs> you know it was actually preceded by fasting even though nothing bad mm-hmm. happened to, you know, to be prayerful and worshipful and things. So this is just like very, the point is that's a country where it's, there's some kind of common Christian practice surrounding these things. It's very normal. No one would have freaked out at the time. And of, of course, Washington, our own Cincinnatus is our, is our first Christian prince. Um, and some of the best, some of the best Thanksgiving proclamations are from FDR, who I think is the one to finally, in 1939 settled the date and it's been settled since then because it kind of moved around some sure uh abraham lincoln did the same same thing tried to like standardize the date um doesn't really matter as long as it's in between september and november somewhere you're kind of celebrating the the you know the the pilgrims at plymouth and all of that so it's it's fine but it's it's very it's a very christian thing to do and it's a very um, protestant thing to do because it is a civil holiday Right, and so a lot of, especially Puritans, uh, would not have celebrated any of the the liturgical calendar. They, uh, you know, Cromwell famously banned Christmas, which which I'm against that. Like that's just that's just uh, poor poor form. Um, but you ban those kinds of things that are that are these religious liturgical kind of practices. But for civil for civil things, um, you you have these celebrations. They do the same thing with like you know Election Day. So you have these kind of civil markers, Thanksgiving for uh, you know, material blessing and providence and these things is is a very American Protestant thing to do from the from the beginning. They were doing the same thing in Virginia uh, since the earliest days as well, um, and you and you see it all all throughout the colonies. So, what people do with that, uh, I don't really know how they explain it away. All Americans are Protestant de facto, whether they like it or not. But you know, you're using very common language for God there, especially when you're talking about in general terms and you're not kind of, you know, presenting the gospel to someone, you'll see that same kind of language in sermons, whatever. Um, you're talking about an active providence and, and favor and you're calling people to, you know, to prayer essentially. So um, I'm not really sure what they're supposed to do with it other than accept that we're, you know, this is a Christian nation. So I think it speaks a lot to the moral decay when you're talking about those early ceremonies Mm -hmm. where they actually fasted before the feast. And Mm -hmm. now we're just anticipating the best black Friday deals and the whole holiday, the whole, I mean the whole month, honestly, surrounding Thanksgiving is just smeared with consumerism. I mean, it's just, it's drowning in like sales for what, like little Mm -hmm. plastic toys that you sold in last year's garage sale. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I can remember like, just maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was unheard of to go anywhere on Thanksgiving or Christmas Day. But now people 
don't want to cook a meal for themselves, so they go out to eat. So now all the restaurants are open. And if the restaurant's open, then the CVS needs to be open. And if the CVS is open, then the Walmart and the Target and the whatever needs to be open. And then the Black Friday deals used to not start until Black Friday. But now they're on Thanksgiving. So then you have all the box, big box stores open on thanks, the actual holiday itself. And so people can't be with their families. And it's just just to compare yeah. those two ceremonies is wild when they and they actually the the first thanksgiving was also you know a three-day long celebration which is something like i don't know anybody that has any kind of family event like that right three days of just hanging out you know um we we should we can of course talk about like how to be based and celebrate thanksgiving but this would be part of it is like lengthen the schedule several Mm -hmm. days of just doing that i think would be um, it's good. Like we don't do feast periods anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have like, you know, Thanksgiving. I remember growing up a lot of times would be like lumped into like an afternoon really quick, you know, yeah. you kind of get there at dinner time. It's not a full day thing. And then on Christmas, I remember growing up too, it was not uncommon, even if we were around family for all of us to like go see a movie, mm-hmm. um, afterwards right like you do the presents in the morning all this go see a movie and stuff which is what you're talking about like the operation of economy and it is certainly entertainment and retail economy right. um which you know i think these days should be treated somewhat like a sabbath in, in the true sense and should have a spiritual aspect and also should um all other activities should cease for the sake of you know offering true prayer and thanks um, but also um, actually resting and, I uh, agree. you know, it's supposed to be the celebration of, it's supposed to be the celebration of work and provision rather than, you know, it, it seems to me you're one, you're making other people who we can call them economically disadvantaged, whatever that work in, in retail, that you're making them work. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you're consuming, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, products rather than yep. the fruit of your labors and things. So, it just seems very odd odd to me. It's totally backward. I, I couldn't agree more that it's it's distasteful. And you think about the time of year. So let's detach the holiday from um, however it relates to Native American and Amer- um, whatever. Pilgrim. How do we call them? Pilgrim relations. I don't want to yeah. commit a thought crime here. Um, <laughs> but Too late. <laughs> It was also, yeah, to celebrate harvest, because if August and September are the months where you harvest everything that you've grown over the summer, then you get to enjoy the big feast. And I think I made a joke earlier about not having time for ceremony, but I think we don't make enough time for ceremony. And to celebrate Mm -hmm. what? Well, our work looks different in 2023 than it did in the Mm -hmm. 17th century, but it feels like we're working more than ever. But then... In the same token, we're never taking time to celebrate what we make if if we're making anything, which is another debate. But um, I, I know a lot of people just feel day to day that they're drowning. Um, and mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think being intentional to carve out time to celebrate the things that we have done and accomplished and the provision that God has provided for us is an important part of a healthy community. Yeah, I, could, I couldn't agree more. I th- and we have... One, I would love for it to be Thanksgiving, but I just don't think we have it at all at any point. Right. It'd be great to reintroduce that. I don't think, I don't know of, of churches that encourage that or kind of facilitate it either. You know, you, you would ideally have a sort of 
um, a calendar where there's several periods a year where you would you would do this. Um, this but certainly one seems like we should be able to swing it. And it's with every technology. There's there's good effects and bad effects. And one of the bad effects we now have is with remote work and our mobility and these things. One, a lot of people don't live close to family or have you know even even mm-hmm. close friends. So that's a problem. Um, two, though, if you're always on, you're like there's never a time off, right? Like yeah. there's no breakaway, even though you're more flexible. So now you know the way I, I work remotely and. Um, you know, you're, you have a much more flexible day, even if you have meetings. So if you need to pop out to the store, whatever, you can do that. At the same time, you just sort of naturally find yourself working later or more often. It's kind of like that they've done studies on this. If you don't set a vacation time, like in a corporate setting, people take less vacation. Mm-hmm. So if you actually give them unlimited options, they'll use it less. But if you're like, hey, you have 14 days, they'll use all of it. And it's like that with with oh, our I flexibility yeah. technologically, mm-hmm. you know. I'm so giving it's, Jace. It's a similar yeah. I'm giving Jace a dirty look as you're saying that <laughs> because he has he has oh, it's, no. it's not an Apple Watch. It's a gar- It's a Garmin. It's a Garmin. But it functions mm-hmm. where it feeds his email and his text messages, and we have this fight yeah. frequently where it's after work. But is it after work? Because he's sitting at dinner, like reading emails from his boss. Or I can like no, I have to... feel the incoming text vibrate while we're trying to watch a show at night. And I'm like, can we just take the watch off? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. soon we'll just have them built in. So yeah. No, no option. Right. Elon's working on it, I'm sure. But um, yeah, even if you don't, I haven't gotten into the Apple Apple Watch. I know my, my brother has one. Don't do um, it. But it like... You know, there's plenty of other ways to do this, and I'm I'm certainly one that's inclined to, like the the entire day becomes yeah you know work, which is fine with me. That's kind of like I don't I don't have a ton of hobbies, so I just will kind of do that. Um, so the point is, like with with technology, you know, it calls for this even more to just have a you know a rigid standardized time of the year where you you do actually rest. I mean, I don't families could just decide their customs but maybe you you know throw phone if all of you are there there's no one really important that needs to call you so you throw the phones in a bucket or something i don't know but you get yeah. you know some some attempt to to do what you know the pilgrims were doing accommodated to our own context which was total you know totally cease work other than you know the preparation beforehand which they which they had to do and you know, to keep the anything necessary to keep the party going, but uh, it should actually be kind of that, which is you know like a like a party where it's just carefree and you're you're with family and and those sorts of things. Um, I think I'm a big fan of, of course, the continued practice of the proclamations. I don't know what the uh, you know this one from from Dark Joe will be like, but we'll get it. Um, it's also it will also be only the second you know Papist to do one, but John F. Kennedy's was pretty good, so. <laughs> And we have a, a lot to hope for, but um. But could you, know, you imagine like Joe Biden doing one like George Washington, though? No, 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 no. Or, or even as I said before, FDR or Abraham Lincoln. Like, no way, it won't be that way. Um, it'll be very. It'll probably be very terse, and I'm sure it'll be very, very inclusive. Um, I was reading one from Abraham Lincoln, and I. I can't get the line out of my head. It was like to repent for our country's perverseness or something like that. It was mm. just very yeah. um, humbling to read through. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Which I think, insofar as it's a national holiday, uh, that would be the other thing that should be in view. So it's not just thankfulness to 
you know, to Providence for your own surplus and, and accomplishments or, or whatever, but it's also to, to think upon Providence insofar as it governs the, the fate of the nation. Um, and that's what makes it truly national and civil. And I think part of that is, is to appreciate um, your national history and myths and to, you know, re- recount those and think about those and, you know, tell the kids the story. I like the kid version of stories like this. I think mm-hmm. they're good. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell my, my kid about Washington chopping down the cherry tree all day and twice on Sundays just to <laughs> own the libs, you know. I don't care if it happened. It's totally a 19th century myth. It probably didn't happen or we have no record that it did. Just like we have no idea if there was turkey at, you know, the first Thanksgiving. We just know there were fowl, which could be like any wild bird, but probably turkey. Uh, no pumpkin pie, probably. But, you know, whatever. These are all, all good things. I think that it, especially now with... Uh, the, the technology we have involved in our lives so integrated. I think something like this takes on even more importance, but I don't know if there's will to to kind of observe it uh, yeah. for all the reasons we've already stated. Well, once they hear us, maybe there will be a movement <laughs> to do that. Well, that's why I, I yeah, that's why I agreed to do this. I thought that would definitely happen. You're talking, you're talking about the kid version of stories. One tradition I have that I just sort of. Um, established accidentally with my own kids is that we've been watching the Charlie Brown movies of the Mm -hmm. Halloween version, the Thanksgiving version and the Christmas version. And it's a good like uh, temperature check um, because Mm -hmm. so we watched the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving one last night, which by the way is free Mm -hmm. on the Apple app if you have it and Mm -hmm. watching it made me feel a lot of things. But one of them was just ignorant because what the kids knew in the show, which was obviously written by adults, but um, they were talking about Miles Standish. I had to Google who Miles yeah. Standish was. I'd never heard of this man, and it, he was a real person. Um, and so I. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so, and the the kids love it, and they said a prayer um, in the show, mm-hmm. and it was very much like you could not air this on TV now. Yeah, kind of, and th- that special was from the 70s, so it doesn't yeah. even feel that long ago, but it's a whole other country almost. When you get to the point where your um, your little start watching Disney movies, if you pick a Disney movie that was published earlier than a certain point and it doesn't uh, stand to muster after 2023 uh, values, mm-hmm. they will put this little thing in the beginning before it starts to play, and it like ticks down for like 15 seconds so you can read it, and it's like, this film depicts harmful images, uh, and, you know, it's some um, yes. stereotype or something, some trope yes, that it's warning course, you about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm waiting for them to put them in books. I'm sure that's already started. but Oh, I mean, they're already editing Dr. Seuss books and... Of course. course. Yeah, that's we're we're already trying to stockpile certain um unapproved, you know, materials uh, for for down the line. But yeah, I mean so you look at you look at something like that, like it's Charlie Brown doing this, you know, what's the point of that? It's to give a share so this would be another aspect of I think national holidays and and myths and, and history is they're they're shared. So you all know them. So you have a common, mm-hmm. um, not just a common story that you see yourself as inhabiting, but also, um, you know, there was, there was a real benefit back when most people in their education had read the same books. Mm-hmm. And let's say, you know, the curriculum, it's, it's not about it being exhaustive. 
it's about a, sh- a shared, you know, rhetoric and stockpile of information or ideas that allow you to, you know, we do, we're, we're like a low version of this right now where you do it with popular TV shows mm-hmm. and like everyone's seen the office, right? Like yeah. you can pretty much reference the office with people like, you know, around our age without citing the source and, and most people like will, will get it or if they need a little help, then they, you know, they get it after a second. And it's so that's like a really low grade version of, of that cultural function. Um, but it used to be done, you know, with much, uh, much more important and uh, worthwhile material. And that would in, but that would also include, you know, the, the idea or, or a story about how you kind of came to be and, you know, what that says about where you're supposed to go. And if that was shared and you have certain figures like a Miles Standish, you know, who had some kind of like hero status for a while because he, you know, defended the colony and these, and there was actually like, um, there's actually like some kind of tragic love story. I forget uh, between, there's a love triangle. It's, it's like very Shakespearean um, that used to be talked about with him and stuff. So, and you don't even know who he is now. Right. Um, And it's like, okay, well, maybe we don't know who Miles Standish, Standish is did we replace him with someone else that performs the same function? And we, and like, so, so it's kind of okay or whatever. And I don't think, I think the answer is no, because you still have those, these stories around in the seventies, probably up through the eighties. And then the decadent nineties is probably when you start sanitizing these things. Um, So it's, it's a total tragedy. And it, it not only, it's not just about the thing itself. It's like how these things socially function. And so we've lost, a certain like cohesiveness or glue by ostracizing these, these stories. Mm -hmm. Narrative is so important. I um, saw a study uh, several months ago and it was talking about um, a consistent family narrative. Telling this to your children is like one of the number one ways to boost your child's self-esteem is so that they can understand where they came from and, who they are as people and, and, and like a practical tip for applying this is saying like our last name is LinkedIn. So LinkedIn's don't lie, period. Like mm-hmm. we as a unit, as a family, as a people, we don't do this or LinkedIn's yeah. are brave. Um, and this is a quality unique to this group of, of which you are, you belong. And mm-hmm. I'm sure I've talked about this on the pod before, but I will never forget this because I thought it was so powerful. It was on TikTok, but it was a mom. (laughs) And for context, she was black. So was her son. And she was listening to rap music with her son. And they were listening to a verse. And she paused the song after they had listened to it. And she talked to him and sort of like a book report and was asking him what he had just listened to and what he thought it meant and what that struggle sort of implied about this the rapper's personal history and she did that she walked through that with her son because she said if she did that it's easy for him to adopt those narratives as his own and they aren't right like he didn't grow up on the streets struggling like this guy did you know he had a a good childhood but if she doesn't reinforce his personal history while he's still at that young age where he's vulnerable to sort of like implicit learning then mm-hmm. if she doesn't raise him, then the world could. And I think I'll never forget that. And I try and, yeah, implement that in our own lives. And I think that's important to do as a country, too. And I, if you don't do that, I mean, yeah, like things are chaotic. 
where did we come from? Who yeah. are we? I mean, imagine being like in a in a what are those called? Cryo cryo cryopod? Yeah, like in all those movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like imagine just being in a pod and then waking up on some planet and you know nothing about who you are, where you came from, or like if you don't teach your kids history, that's I imagine it feels something close to that. Yeah, I mean, I ask the toddler every time we listen to Queen what he thinks about <laughs> fat bottom girls. <laughs> God. They make the world go around. Do you let him listen to that song? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think that's. I mean, I think that's very true. It's intuitively known by everybody. I mean, otherwise, why? Um, even as all this, like you know, the libtards trying to ruin all the fun, including mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. Even as that's happening, well, people are like obsessed with their ancestry. Yeah. And they're, uh, you know, uh, what's the DNA test like you can do now? Like all these things come online because people are very, very interested in where they came from, you know, wh- and they want to find out things they might not know, but they're looking for their own story, right? Like what, it, what is this? What am I about? Where am I from? And and people will go take, you know, trips for that. I have relatives that, uh, and I think all this is good, by the way, I'm not dissing it at all, but I have, you know, relatives that, um, you know, have, have deep Scottish ancestry and they, so they take a trip to scotland to go like see it so this is all very natural and he's, even as you're being told almost singularly in the world as americans everything about you is terrible and needs to be replaced hmm. um and and you can drive uh, the word replaced as far as you want on this blackfield podcast um but the <laughs> so you need to be everything needs to be replaced and it all sucks and everyone's kind of beaten into that um but at the same time you can see that they, they don't actually believe that if they sort of had a, a truth serum test because they actually care deeply about where they've come from. Yeah. They're just told certain stories or explanations for that are unacceptable. And they happen to be the ones that would develop or did used to develop national solidarity so that you can accomplish great things and have a stable and, a, you know, generally tranquil society. Um, so the narratives are being uh, attacked at the same time that, that basic order in society and both, meaning criminally, um, in the most literal sense, order, but also just natural order of things, like what we're willing to accept. And I don't think those two phenomena are disconnected. It's funny that you mentioned that. My mom literally has her Scottish clan tartan right inside the house by the front door. It's yeah. one of the first things you see when you walk in. I think it's, I think it's great. Like, I love that stuff as well. I mean, I, did, I was with my, uh, my grandparents recently, and uh, back earlier in the summer, they're very old now. And so they, but, you know, my grandmother had done all this work on all the ancestry on my father's side and has it down, you know, to, back to the 14th century. Mm. And I think it's great. It does give you, you know, some sort of sense, you know, when you came over, you know, to this country is also something I think a lot of people do and should care about because then mm-hmm. um, this is even true of, of the, you know, the stereotypical immigrant story, the Italians, Irish, whatever. I mean, all that is wrapped up in their identity um and it kind of gives you this this sense of yourself um some kind of group solidarity and and purpose and and also like just traits that you're willing to embrace right you know this even those stereotypes are usually somewhat true and i think you need something any kind of country anything that is self-professedly a nation has to have something like that and it has to account for the the you know 
fact of the matter diversity, which is not, you know, to be worshipped, but it's just there. Um, and, and part of that is by providing, you know, common stories about, um, you know, how, how this place started. So I just think it's, uh, it's, so it's the exact opposite of what the, the lefties want to say, right? The reason we can't celebrate Columbus or, you know, William Bradford or whatever is because it's um, exclusive and divisive to do so. And in fact, it's, it's the exact opposite. You can't really have a uh, unified nation with, um, without some of, those, some of those things in play. So I'm curious, just just to lay this out here. Um, yep. What we talked about, like the feast and all of that. So on the other side, what actually like was was there? And I don't mean to be the actually people, but was there this <laughs> no. feast? Was there this feast where Native Americans brought their food and we had something to offer and we sat down together at this table and had a meal? And why? Yeah. And around what time? I'm basically yeah. asking no, you, what is Thanksgiving? Totally <laughs> no, to, by all accounts, that all of that is totally real. There was a um, you know feast. There was actually more of the the Pawtucket there than than the uh, the Pilgrims. They were like, I mean, they'd almost lost half their numbers that they came over with mm-hmm. through um less the voyage i think they had a few people die on the voyage but they also had a few people born so i think you 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 even out but you know the winter was terrible and they had a lot of sickness and all that Mm -hmm. so you're down to like 53 of the of the pilgrims i think there is i think the estimate is there's something like 90 of the you know the the natives that came um to celebrate it see there's i think there's conflicting accounts on whether it, it was planned at the outset that way or whether it happened organically that the the um you know the pilgrims were celebrating their harvest and there's there's one account at least that they were they were doing like ceremonial gunfire which seems like something we should definitely reintroduce uh, to to our thanksgiving celebrations um and the the uh you know the indians hear that and show up and realize it's not you know nothing bad's happening but they're feasting and so then they go and uh, bring deer and all this other you know stuff and join in and it's it's sort of this three-day bash uh, but there's definitely that uh, no doubt that both the pilgrims and indians were at the table together of course they were in alliance against the narragansett who had been you know enemies of the pawtucket and these things so it's not um there's no account of squanto being there as i said and he was dead by 1622 so he definitely wasn't there uh, the next year or year after but he could have been there and there was enough of of them where he could have um, you know, but any, any certainly, uh, all of it's true about him helping the pilgrims and, and establishing those relations and helping them learn how to farm and fish. Uh, you know, the first Thanksgiving they probably had a lot of seafood, um, including eel might've been there cause that's something they learned too. And shellfish of, of general sorts. Um, probably, as I said, there are no pies because that, um, they probably didn't have butter. I think is that's estimated because there's no no dairy cows with them. Damn. Um, and they didn't have um, there's no evidence they had ovens. So everything's over open fire. Wow. Um, so you, you can't really do pies well. You could do like a um, or, or open sort of um, you know, it's not an oven sufficient for the pie. You might have yeah. been able to build some kind of makeshift thing. Um, so probably no pies, but they would have had, you know, the cranberry sauce fits because they had those you would have had um, all kinds of 
game and probably i think we should just accept turkeys were there even though there's no explicit you know evidence and as as ben franklin said you know it's a it's a bird of courage and probably should be our national bird uh, the bald eagle he said was lazy because it doesn't fish for itself <laughs> which is actually pretty prophetic and it's actually appropriate we have the bald eagle i guess not but um anyway so but yes the the basic answer is yes it absolutely happened and it happened basically in the same way that all the myth myth stories say it did, right? Like filling in slight gaps. Um, we don't have a huge account of it, but they did keep doing it, you know, so celebrating after harvest and doing things, fasting beforehand, so on and so forth. So, and it's because it was the anniversary of, of um, their arrival within, uh, you know, they're at mm-hmm. sea for what, like 10 weeks or something. It's probably terrible. Um, and then they made it, and they made it through the, the harsh winter and around uh, the, the time that they would have gotten to shore, which would have been November. Um, that's when they when they celebrated. So It's nice to have, like, one thing be consistent. Yeah. <laughs> Not have... No, it's, it's totally... Re- yeah. Yeah, the fact check I printed out said that the... You printed thing, out a fact check? Yeah, just to see. <laughs> it's from a conservative yeah. uh, college, the... Ashland University, yeah. they had Teaching American History, and this uh-huh. is from their article, The First Thanksgiving, Truth or Fiction. It said that the Wampanoag tribe taught the yeah. pilgrims how to catch lobster. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's fancy. Uh, sorry, yeah, you got to say that the Wampanoag, you know, is the tribe name. They're from a, an area around uh, Pawtucket and these things, so it's, it all gets mixed up. But Gotcha. Um, but they, they I don't even, they what were, is Pawtucket? And they had like a um, a defensive pact, right, to with with external tribes. Yeah, because it looked like there was a neighboring tribe that had a monopoly on the currency, and so they had this peace yeah. treaty with the Wampanoag for it looks like forty years, and then went to war mm-hmm. over money, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Just putting it in today's context, yeah. uh, forty years yeah. later. Yeah, because they had to fight the you know, the Narragansett. said, I think we ended up. Um, you see, I do that. We, um, like I was there, the, um, I think we ended up allying with the Narragansett later against the, the Pequois because they were like excessively brutal, but that's, that's years and years later. Um, but for a while, the Narragansett were pretty, were pretty hostile is what, uh, what it seems like. So, gotcha. yeah. Um, and no land was stolen, you know, um, were there, uh, and, and that's a, that was a general Puritan policy actually. So when they, you know, start Massachusetts Bay in 1630, and of course there were other there were other little outposts up and down the the coast already. But they, I mean, the policy was always to um, negotiate and buy you know land to to compensate for the the land, so no one was stealing. You know, even um, we can get into law of conquest another time, but <laughs> this was this was all fair game. Did they thank God providentially for like wiping some areas out through plague? Yes, they did that for sure. So that may bother people. Yeah, that was a question. Was it intentional smallpox or was that just, oh, we're from Europe and this just happens? Well, the um, when, when they arrive in, uh, when the pilgrims arrive in 1620, it's already happened. Okay. Right. There's no one, there's no one there. Um, and that's, that's, is it is actually true that that was Squanto's tribe, right? Like they're all, okay. they're all gone. He had actually been, uh, did actually know English because he had been overseas some of the uh, that is murky, but that did actually. If you ever, ever saw like the Disney live action movie about Squanto, mm-hmm. um, it's not bad, right? I think people should. It's it's great. Like he, 
you know, in that movie, he brings horses to the new world, which is a pretty great achievement. There's no record of, but you know, he does that and jumps it like off the dock into a ship. Um, he like wrestles bears and stuff, you know, so even make, you can even make him a hero with no indication of, but he, uh, you know, all that's, all that's basically true. So I just think people should, uh, should enjoy the ride. Like what's the point of <laughs> yeah. stressing out over this? Um, if you're going to be a historian and write like the book, you know, to get your footnotes of your footnotes in, and that's your career. Yeah. You should, you should try to be as accurate as possible. But if we're just doing this kind of myth thing, it needs to be based in reality. And then it's natural. It's only natural to the people that these, these things will grow, right. And take on new meaning as time goes on. Um, and they were for a long time, those worked very well for us because they were, you will see these sorts of things in these proclamations, especially, like during wartime, um, you know, are, are, are very important and effective. So, I had pitched yeah. the spanking debate <laughs> yes. as a subtopic, as I'm sure you've been following that, but I don't know if you've had to encounter that choice yet. I haven't. It's kind of like, it's like people, you know, converting to Presbyterianism uh, when they don't have kids. It's like, yeah, I mean, whatever. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm pretty, uh, I'm, I'm definitely pro spanking of, of some kind, but it isn't the debate. I really actually haven't followed it that much. Isn't the debate like over the circumstance because of what Doug Wilson's wife said? We've talked about spanking on the podcast before. Jason and I are weird and we yeah. don't do it. Certainly want to. Um, <laughs> there's. <laughs> yes. Well, that's it. I've never heard that perspective. We don't do it, but we definitely want to. Oh, certainly want to. But uh, definitely physical aspects. But when you. And now again, I am always skeptical of the research coming out of like the pediatrics academy and all of that. But they say yes. that it has a tendency to make boys more aggressive. And I definitely see that at least with one of my boys. Like it did, it, it escalates really? the situation. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, so I don't know. And but, my parents had a similar experience mm-hmm. with my brother and I. I was fine, but it made my brother go into a rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. So yeah. what's the what's the rationale for not spanking? Generally, just just that that it's ineffective. I yeah, I don't know. I don't. If a toddler, in my mind, well, and again, my kids are four and under. And so I hate making these like mm-hmm. big declarations when really discipline, I feel, needs to be tailored to your specific moment. And so I don't know if I'm going to if that's maybe more appropriate when they're older. But when you're talking about like, oh, OK, so our youngest is 20 months old, like he can't he really can't reason like he doesn't know that when he goes down the street, he's going to hit, hit by a car. <laughs> and I know some people use that to justify right. spanking. But for me, how am I supposed to, for example, our dog was misbehaving. So I started swatting right. our dog because we were at our in-laws and he was like, <laughs> he was assault, sexually assaulting my mother-in-law's <laughs> dog. <laughs> and it was happening all the time. So I just kept swatting my dog, like get off him. He's a 90 pounds, right? So it takes a lot of right. oomph to like get off. Um, and then the 20 month old hitting all of the dogs, hitting everything. After he saw me do that, he was hitting the dogs. He was trying to do it to people, his brother. And so I can't sit there and sit him down in a chair and look at him and say, okay, now listen, I swat the dog because I have to discipline the dog, but it's just owed. And then this behavior is bad because X, Y, and Z. And, but for me, the biggest thing is like, 
I, yeah, that I want to. And so I completely take it off the table because I don't know, it's a lack of trust in myself. And I don't know if that's a totally correct answer, but it's what I'm doing right now. And what was the, I, I don't even know why, why is this being debated right now? So, like online, yeah, Jace knows online, all about but, this. Yeah, Moscow's okay, doing some of it. I think it was just Jace sending it to, to, to us. But. Oh, that could be too. So, Moscow's doing the no quarter November thing like normal. And yeah. then people just looking to attack Doug Wilson found this video of his wife talking about a time where she spanked one of the girls. Uh, she was picking her up from some play date or something. And she didn't run up excited to leave or whatever. So Nancy was saying she needed to spank her to instill the idea that you joyfully follow your parents' commands or whatever. And the little bit that just went viral didn't even explain any context or anything. It was just, well, of course I spanked her for not coming joyfully or something like that. So it seemed even more extreme than what it actually was. But it just raised the whole debate of what you're even disciplining yeah. at that point. Yeah. Because there was a debate on the side about whether you can discipline some, like the internal belief, kind of that forced conversion kind of debate, but in this mm-hmm. micro level. I see. Yeah, the, the spanking will be administered till morale improves. Yeah. Like that, yeah. <laughs> exactly, though. <laughs> And so then the cross-politic yeah. guys were saying, well, I guess you hate your children if you don't want them to joyfully follow God's commands through you or whatever. And now Jace's, I don't know if I ever thought about that. Jace's parents do not like that we don't spank, but oh, really? they're like, yeah, yeah, this is, yeah. Well, and yeah. that was one thing one of our friends put in the group chat, uh, some meta-analysis of all the spanking literature and it said the kind of spanking that they were studying in a lot of these yeah. analyses was like backup spanking is the technical definition. And it was just to reinforce a timeout. And it was two swats on huh. the bottom with a hand, mm-hmm. not hard. And so spanking, I think, covers is too broad of a term. I, yeah, so is it, and why two swats? Because it's like one shy of the Trinity or something? Yeah, like, is that it could be. Kind of, why not se- like seven? Is it seven a holy number? There was a very popular uh, parenting book that my mom read when she was raising me. And so I was, I was born in 1994. So, you know, within that range. And it really emphasized that they were wearing a diaper and it was okay because they were what they were wearing a diaper and so that like cushioned the impact Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i would be interested though in more of like a biblical debate if we're taking this back to scripture the rod like i just i don't i've seen parents spank their kids and i really don't believe that shepherds were beating their sheep with a rod because the rod right was more for the predators the wolves and then the staff was for the sheep but maybe i'm yeah misunderstanding things are you beating the sin out i don't know like the sin that you see in your child is the wolf so you're beating your child to get the wolf away from the sheep Ah. I had a question like about well, the Nancy. Where do, where do sheep dogs come into play with spanking? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like an important question to ask. Um, is, yeah, I think I had, we, we definitely had spanking. I think it was, uh, what is it, James Dobson? 
than he do parenting books. Yeah, focus on the pretty family. Pretty sure that's what my parents... Dare yeah, to discipline. I'm sure that's what, there you go. That sounds right. Mm-hmm. And I almost got like almost never spanked. Maybe yeah. like a, on single digit amount of times. Mm-hmm. It was just very, I was first born, uh, even if I didn't like it, like by the book, pretty compliant. Uh, but my brother, uh, it's probably innumerable. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know. I mean, he's an upstanding citizen now. He's like 25. But, yeah. You know, I don't know how well, well that worked. But we did. And I remember the rules were like, you know, you, you're supposed to lay out the the things you'll spank for like ahead of time so they know. Okay. So yeah. it'd be like, it'd be like um, you could have a list of things. But the, the point is they all follow, uh, like then everything can fall under disobedience. And sure. so, <laughs> which like then becomes pretty expansive. <laughs> but, but it like, I, I guess once you've been told to not do something once, even if yeah. the thing itself is not what you'd spank for, but then you do it again anyway, you're disobedient. Oh, and I see. So now you've been put on notice, you know, so it's mainly was that. It was like disobedience was the main thing you would get in trouble for if you've been told not to do something. Or maybe like being, uh, you know, back talking or something to your mother or something like that. I yeah. don't know. But so it was like limited, but then could become expansive pretty quickly. I think it was Toby Sumter who said, they had a special place in the house. I think it was their bathroom where they take the kids and they'll read a specific Bible verse that correlates with whatever sin they're punishing and then they'll spank and then they'll pray and say, here's the reconciliation part. Here's Jesus died for this sin and now we're restoring you to the household. And it was a whole gospel lesson in with every spanking. How do you do that when dinner is on the stove? Well, I guess you delegate that to dad while mom's cooking. I, I don't, know. don't see mm, the ceremony. I don't. Who has time for that? Well, who has time? <laughs> who doesn't have time to raise your kids? No, biblically? I'm not advocating just like Emily having a like a loose like this. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Mm, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's very involved. I've never heard. I've never heard that. I like um, the yeah the 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 warnings or so you, you mm-hmm. have. They've been informed. They know the rules. The rules have been laid out. Yeah, the law like has that. been promulgated. Yeah. Yeah. The it's number... It's got to be promulgated for the common good, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the number one thing that's worked for us, and however you interpret response, is one warning and then after that swift response. And so whatever it's going to be, you fill the blank. But like... And we've even seen when we got lax on that, that things just get out of control. So if we're like, don't tip over that box of books, this happens frequently when we say no. And then it happens anyway. Like you can't just say no and like keep talking and do what you do. Something physical has to happen. I go over, mm-hmm. I take the box, I sit him down on the ground. I remove the box and put it out of reach. This is the one and a half year old who can't reason mm-hmm. <laughs> and put it out of reach. <laughs> and that, since yeah. I had seen that advice, has really worked. Yeah. Yeah, you enforce the command without threatening. Less talking. Yeah. Less talking. I know the gentle parenting thing is like, I know you're feeling big feelings right now. Like, yeah, my (laughs) 18-month-old, what? Like, no, I'm not having a... (laughs) I'm not having a conversation with him about that. No. I know there's one one story I'm always told from when... I don't know how old it would be, like two or three, where I... I didn't want to pick up the toys and like my, my dad like 
would use my hands to forcibly pick up yes. the toys and put them away. So I was doing it and I was just protesting the, you know, like, like when you see people dra- dragged away at protests where they're just, oh, like, yeah. like, yeah. that was like me the whole time, but he forced me to do all of it. And I, <laughs> I've been there. I've done that exact thing. Have done that. <laughs> I've done that exact with move. spills, picking up the paper towel, moving the hand in a circle. Yes. Oh yeah. It's amazing it's hilarious. how quick you revert to what your parents did. And you can hate what they did. And the minute that you have a toddler and a newborn and no sleep, you will sound, I sound exactly like my mother. Like, (laughs) (laughs) there's no no choice. It's baked in. Yeah, it is. I think that's a great place to end it. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you wanted to say anything else about spanking and we can move that up. (laughs) Or Thanksgiving. I think you should spank children for denying you know, these, these, uh, these myths, if they come home <laughs> from their, from their stupid schools and they're like, actually right then swiftly, immediately. Yeah. yeah. Immediately. Uh, Two swats, not three over the um, diaper. One swat for each day of celebration. And, yeah. Um, okay. Bring it full circle. With no, the I, wooden yeah, spoon. Sorry, I, I think having a better perspective on this stuff would, would be helpful to, to us. And especially even if people don't want to adopt all the, the posture to myth I'm talking about, I think, um, you know, celebrating Thanksgiving in a better way would, would yeah. do everybody some good. I'm trying to think about cooking with no butter. I'm stuck on that. And I think there was, um, I think we, we pretty much know is probably only four women cooked for, you know, like almost uh, like 140 people. Oh, don't get me started on that. I have a whole <laughs> thing about community kitchens. This is my Roman empire. I don't, it's a whole, yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard that episode. There's no, there's no, there's no episode. episode. It's just sprinkled oh, in okay. most of it. I just, <laughs> I think if women, <laughs> I don't, I have to thread this needle. Uh, hmm. If we were all together all day long with our children running around and we were all in our different phases of life, we could better fill in the gaps when things get hard with one of us trying to do it all. We're singing all day and you can't tame it. High tide, low tide, you know. Night time, morning time, yeah. We're going strong.